You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. If you have your Bibles, you can open them to John chapter 14. Appreciate uh, Ben and Adam and Bobby that are at my house right now putting my hot water heater back together. Those guys are awesome. Last week we started John chapter 14. We're going to finish up chapter 14 today. Chapter 14 starts with that that command that tells us to not let our hearts be troubled. And so we looked last week at what Jesus ultimately has to say about troubled hearts and ultimately how he offers cure for the anxiousness that sometimes tempts to set in into our life. And so uh, last week we said that maturing faith in Jesus is the basis for preventing one's heart from being troubled. With our anxieties particularly dissipating as we recognize more clearly our secure future, and our present purpose. And so we connected the fact that it's our maturing faith that attacks those, those troubles and anxieties that sometimes pop up in our life and allow us to not settle in into an anxious type state. And so we said last week that we should expect anxious moments, that uh, the fact that Jesus even addresses this, and there's other passages in scripture that talk about uh, the possibilities of anxiety coming our way and how we're not to be anxious, that we're to bear each other's burdens. And so all the, all the fact that the, that the Word has to say things to us about burdens and anxious moments means that we should expect there to be temptation to feel those ways, right? And so Jesus tells us to expect those anxious moments, but that they don't have to be troubling. They don't have to be troubling to us. We said that they were probably feeling some anxiousness because, one, they had failed in washing each other's feet like they should have. Right? Jesus has to bring it to their attention that they have failed royally when it comes to serving each other, that he has to step in and do it for them. But they don't have to be troubled by it because Jesus is giving them a second chance. He's, he's commanded them now to wash each other's feet moving forward. Right? We said that uh, they may be feeling anxious because Judas is going to betray Jesus and ultimately betray them. Uh, but they don't have to be troubled by that because Jesus knew about it. He's prophesying about it. He's allowing it to happen, and he's planning to use it. He tells them to grow their faith, right? We know that uh, they could have felt anxious because Peter's going to deny him. But Jesus knew this as well, and he had already pronounced uh, Peter to be clean. We said they could feel anxious because Jesus has said that he's going to leave them. But he's also reassured them of a reunion that is to come as well. And so these are potential temptations for them to feel anxious, but there's also solutions that have been attached to those moments that they don't have to be troubled by these things. And so we can expect anxious moments, but we don't have to allow them to trouble us. Uh, We said refuse to settle for anxiousness, right? That Jesus commands us to not let our hearts be troubled. And so there's a command to not stay in this state, The good thing, though, is that Jesus offers solutions as well. He doesn't just tell us not to be anxious. He tells us why we shouldn't be anxious, too. Um, He talks about the belief factor. Believing that faith is the main antidote is so important for us. We talked about how correct theology can soothe our hearts, that ultimately it can soothe our hearts and protect us from being anxious if we know Jesus well the deity of Jesus, that he's the only way, he's the only truth, he's the only source of life. We talked about that belief factor. We also talked about knowing our future well. Jesus talks about eschatology being a comforting thing for us, that when we know our future, when we understand what is coming, it certainly can soothe our hearts in anxious moments, believing that he's preparing a place for us, believing that he's coming back for us as well. And then we wrapped everything up last week talking about the 
the present purpose that we have, right? That there's great works that we're to be doing. In fact, they're labeled as greater works that we're to be doing than what Jesus did. And we talked about what greater works means, but ultimately it means that we have a purpose here to be serving in his name. And we talked about the prayers that we're to pray that will be answered. Prayers that are consistent with Jesus's will for the glory of the Father, he guarantees to answer those prayers. So application-wise this week, I encouraged you to identify any particular personal anxieties and determine a plan for learning how Scripture speaks to those areas. I posted for you this week a particular anxious moment for me, right, that several important parent conversations that had to take place this week, I knew they were hostile situations, whether they were uh, hostile towards me or, or teachers or whatnot, and that I had to find a way to create situations where it could be a win for us and a win for them, really trying to bring them onto the same page with us and vice versa. And it was creating some anxiety for me just because of the amount of conversations that was going to have to be taking place. Uh, One particular one, I needed a staff member to basically have a great conversation with a family and and really had to coach that individual up to make sure that that took place. Would have been far easier if I could have just had the conversation. Um, But the parent really wanted to talk to the teacher, and so we had to work to make sure that that conversation went well. But it was in that moment of anxiousness that I was reminded that when we lack wisdom, we can pray for that and we can be assured that it will come to us. And so just having that moment in my truck to be able to pray and and ask God for that wisdom and, and knowing that he would provide it because it's promised, immediately I started to see that anxiousness dissipate in my own heart. Um, being able to, to take comfort in the fact that wisdom was going to come when it was needed in each one of those conversations. And that's exactly how it played out this week. So hopefully you've got some, some stories and accounts like that too. If not, I encourage you to identify the areas that you find personal anxieties in and see where scripture speaks to those situations. I also encourage you to find time this week to refresh yourself on the future hope you have as a believer, whether that's reading a particular article, listening to a sermon, having a conversation with somebody else about our future, right? We've taught through First and Second Thessalonians, we've taught through Revelation, but, but needing refreshers at times about what the future holds is so encouraging for us. And then finding a, a plan to serve somebody this week as an extension of Jesus as well. That brings us to uh, the second half of John chapter 14. And so I want to read for us our text today, starting in verse 15. Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will, will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them... He it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. 
If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Our summary sentence for today is maturing love for Jesus is the basis for growing in our obedience to him. Allowing our fears to be turned into a mindset of peace as we enjoy deepening intimacy with him with the help of the Holy Spirit. Maturing love for Jesus is the basis for growing in our obedience to him. Allowing our fears to be turned into a mindset of peace as we enjoy deepening intimacy with him with the help of the Holy Spirit. For our kids, as we love Jesus more, we will want to obey him more too. So last week we said that maturing faith was the basis for preventing one's heart from being troubled. This week we're saying that maturing love is the basis for growing in our obedience to him. There's a direct correlation with our obedience and the love that we have for Jesus. One, that it's a, it's a direct reflection as to whether or not we even have love for Jesus. That it's a necessary outward, inward expression of the love that we have for Jesus, it will be manifested in the ways that we obey him. And so therefore, we can assume that as we love Jesus more, we will find ourselves being more and more submitted to him in obedience. So maturing love for Jesus is the basis for growing in our obedience to him. And it's when that is working properly, where we are growing in our love for Jesus and then seeing that manifest itself in the ways that we're being obedient to him, our fears begin to turn into a mindset of peace because in that love-obedient relationship, our intimacy with God is deepening. And it's the Holy Spirit who's put into our life to make sure that that happens, to, to help guide us into that intimacy. So as we mature in our faith, we see our, our anxieties start to dissipate. We see our heart being less and less troubled because we feel secure in our future. We see a present purpose. And then as we are loving Jesus more, we're being obedient to him more. And he fears that we have, because it's in the second part of this chapter where Jesus says once again, don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid either. Not just don't be troubled, but don't be afraid either. And it's particularly tied to the fact that there's uh, deep intimacy that's offered. Uh, by being a Christian. There's deep intimacy that's offered that comes through the ministry, uh, the helpfulness of the Holy Spirit. All right, so we're going to see that trifecta of, of what, it, what it looks like to, um, to enjoy intimacy and also the help of the Holy Spirit and how that translates into peace for us as well. So three points today. Let's start by looking at number one. Experience intimacy that comes from assurance of salvation. Experience the intimacy that comes from assurance of salvation. For our kids, Christians enjoy a special relationship with God. There's intimacy that's offered to us in that loving, obedient relationship. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then he talks about this help that will come through the Holy Spirit. But then in verse 18 I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I'm, your, I'm in the Father, you in me, and I in you. 
He talks about even down in um, verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. There's this intimacy, this unique intimacy that Christians can enjoy and they enjoy it more and more as they, they gain a deeper assurance of their salvation. There's, there's three if you love me passages here that I want to draw your attention to. If you love me, he says three different things in our text today. Number one, if we love him, it will be shown through our obedience to him. If we love him, it will be shown through our obedience to him. He says it in verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He says it again in verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Not, not hard really to understand what he's saying there, right? We show that we love him by obeying him. We're, we're making this choice, we're making this commitment to follow him no matter where he might lead us. But the key piece that I, I want to make sure that you get is that the, the motivation for obedience here is that love piece. It's the love that we have for him, not a desire to, to earn favor, not a desire to achieve our own set of righteousness, right? Like there's not this moral obligation even to be obedient to him. We, we do have a, a moral compass that tells us right and wrong. But so oftentimes, if we are just drawing upon the moral obligation, eventually we will get tired of living that way, right? You see that oftentimes when, when you've got kids who grow up in Christian homes and they've been doing and living a certain way kind of out of a moral obligation. And then when they're kind of brought out from underneath that umbrella, if there's a lack of love for Jesus, it may not continue. That, that obedient-looking lifestyle may not continue once they are taken out of that structure. It's the love that motivates us towards obedience that's sustainable. So for, for me, I think it's important for us to ask ourselves the question, what is it about him? What is it about Jesus that would compel us to love him? Right? What is it about him that would make us love him, which would then translate into an obedient life? Because the antidote for disobedience is not obedience, it's love. The more we love him, the more obedient we become. Right? And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you um, this week, even from an application standpoint, uh, to reflect and spend some time thinking about what it is that you love about Jesus. What is it that you love about Jesus? And, and, and we don't have time to do that right now, but, but I want to talk long enough right now for you to at least be pondering that question, even in your heart and mind right now. What is it that you love about him? What are the type of things that, that stand out to you that, that would say, this is why I love Jesus, right? Uh, we can see plenty of reasons through the promises that he offers to us, but even in the ways that, that he talks about us as his creation, right? Like he's placed such great value upon us by simply creating us in his image, right? That we belong to him because we are created in his image. Um, in our staff devotion this week with uh, our administration, our, our head of school was talking about that passage where the Pharisees are trying to, they're trying to trap Jesus with the, the concept of money, right? And so they're trying to challenge him. Do we pay taxes to Caesar? Uh, what are we supposed to do with our money type of thing, right? And Jesus' response is what? That we're to 
render to Caesar's what is Caesar's and render to God's God what is God's, right? Well, well, the implication there is that Caesar's image, Caesar's imprint is upon that money, right? And so we give it. We give it, you know, from a tax standpoint back. Well, it's not explicitly stated in that passage, but the, the implicit piece there is where is God's image placed? Well, it's, it's on us, right? So, so what are we supposed to give to God? Far more than our money, right? Far more than our money. We're, we're, we're called to, to offer ourselves to God. We see that in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, where we're offering our bodies, our lives as living sacrifices. Why? Because that's where his image is, right? If we're supposed to give to Caesars what, what his image is upon, and we're to give to God what his image is upon, well, that's us, right? So, so why do we love him? Well, because he places great value upon us. And even when we're sinful, and even when we're rebellious, and even when we want nothing to do with him, it's in that state where he loves us so much that he, that he dies on the cross for us, right? What is it about him? And this is not a question that can be exhausted in, in a five-minute conversation, right? Because we're meant to deepen in our love for him. We're meant to continue to see more and more reasons to love Jesus, which leads to a greater life of obedience to him, right? What is it about him that compels you to love him? Spend time thinking about that, meditating upon that, because it will translate into a more obedient life. Not because you see a moral obligation to live a certain way, or not because somebody is telling you to do it this way, but because you see in Scripture his commands, you embrace those commands, not as, not as something that you have to do, but as something as, as, as though you desperately must do it, right? Um, because you believe his commands are good. You believe his commands are good. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. So we've talked about that love piece, but what about specific commands that he might have had in mind when calling his disciples to obey? What are some specific things that, that would have been fresh on their mind that would be acts of obedience to show that love for him? What are some things that, that come to your mind, things that we've talked about over the past couple of weeks, things that Jesus has, has hit on as key pieces of obedience maybe that he would have had in mind, they would have had in mind when he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now, he hasn't necessarily talked about adultery or murder, you know, some of the things that, that maybe immediately come to mind to us from the Ten Commandments. But there were some things that he was talking about that I think they would have been, would have had fresh on their mind. What are some of those things that you can remember? Let not your heart be troubled. All right. I mean, immediate context would be that we're not supposed to be anxious, right? One of the ways that, that we show that we love Jesus, that we treasure Jesus, it's how we handle our anxieties, right? That we don't allow ourselves to stay in a state of anxiousness. We're not content to be anxious. We don't just say, that's who I am now. I'm just an anxious individual, right? One of the ways that we show we love Jesus is that we're committed to giving our anxieties back to him. We're, give, we're, we're willing and, and desirous to let him handle the worry, realizing that he can, he can take care of it, right? Other, other thoughts, things that he's immediately in context called them to that would certainly be fresh on their minds about what he means when he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Love one another. Yeah, the aspect of loving one another, specifically in regards to washing each other's feet, right? Like this is a specific thing that he had called them to, to model the example that he had just set in leaving, that they're to take care of each other. They're to be intentional in serving each other, particularly in undesirable ways, that they're, they're to wash each other's feet. They're to do the, the, le the least desirable things. Right? Like, I feel like I'm getting my feet washed right now with the three guys that are helping in my house, right? Because that's not desirable to be over there and, you know, in the wet walls of my sheetrock right now, cutting that away, fixing that piece and pipe back together. 
Right? Those guys right now are fulfilling a command that's given in, in the ways that we serve each other, right? So there's, 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 some, there's, the, there's an overall general perspective here that, man, we're supposed to obey all the commands of Jesus, and we show our love for him by being obedient. But there's a, there's a, uh, a textual context, too. What are some of the things that Jesus is talking about right here? Um, he's talking about the ways that we serve each other. He's talking about what we do with our anxious feelings, too, right? If we love him, it'll be shown through our obedience to him. Number two, if we love him, we will experience his active presence in our life. If we love him, we will experience his active presence in our life. Verse 23, Jesus answered them, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. That word for home and that word for place, back at the beginning of chapter 14 where he says, I go to prepare a place for you, they're the exact same word in the original language, right? So there's this aspect where Jesus is going to prepare a place for us, but then there's this also this piece where he's, he's making a place in us at the very same time. So he says, hey, those of you that are truly my disciples, you obey my commands. You love me by obeying my commands. And if you love me by obeying my commands, you're going to see an active presence in, in your life as well as I come and make my home within you. If we love him, we will experience his active presence in our life. He indwells us and actively works within us. We understand that to be through the Holy Spirit, but we can see God the Father and Jesus also uh, portraying this idea that they too come to make a home within us as well. So if we love him, it'll be shown through our obedience to him. If we love him, we will experience his active presence in our life. And then number three, if we love him, we will find joy at the anticipation of being with him. If we love him, we will find joy at the anticipation of being with him. In verse 28, you heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place that when it does take place, you may believe. What's he saying here? He's saying that a reunion with him is possible because his resurrection has occurred and ours is promised. Right? Earlier in the passage, he talks about verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live. You also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He says, if you loved me, you would rejoice at, at what I'm talking about here, right? The idea that, that I'm going away, I'm going to prepare this place for you with the anticipation that I'm coming back so that we can be together forever, right? If you love me, you'll rejoice over this anticipation of us being together for eternity. That reunion is possible because his resurrection is occurring and ours is promised. And so we see this intimacy that comes, this intimacy that we enjoy, this assurance of salvation that we see as we love, we, we grow in our obedience, right? And that deepens our intimacy as we come to this, this better understanding of what it looks like for Jesus to indwell us, to change us, to conform us into his image, all right? Number two, we embrace the help that comes from the presence of the Holy Spirit. 
We embrace help that comes from the presence of the Holy Spirit. For our kids, Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit to help us love and obey him. We embrace help that comes from the presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says in verse 16, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, it's important to note that the Holy Spirit's not the only helper here, right? He's another helper that comes on the scene. Well, who's the original helper? That would be Jesus, right? So Jesus is comforting them by saying, I'm about to leave, and I've been your helper, right? Like, I've been that, that advocate for you. I've been that supporter for you. I've been that encourager for you. And I'm about to leave. My physical presence is going to be vacating you. But I'm sending another helper, one who's, who's exactly like me, one who's going to do the exact same things that I've been doing for you, right? And so he sends the Holy Spirit. He makes this promise of the Holy Spirit coming to them. And therefore, number one, shows us that he's giving us the Holy Spirit intentionally, intentionally. This is part of his plan for how to strengthen his disciples, how to grow their faith, how to uh, increase the presence of his kingdom through the local church. It's going to be through the Holy Spirit working in and through his disciples. He says, I'll ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. He's requesting this to be done and he assures us that it will be done, that the Holy Spirit will be delivered to those who love him. He's a helper just like Jesus. Jesus gives us this Holy Spirit intentionally. Number two, he gives us the Holy Spirit eternally. He gives us the Holy Spirit eternally. He'll be with you forever, is what Jesus says. And we've talked before, and, we, and we don't, we're not going to take the time today to talk about the difference in the Holy Spirit and his work in the Old Testament and New Testament, right? He, it's not that he's absent in the Old Testament. It's not that people got saved without the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. But there is a unique ministry There's a transition that takes place as we come into the New Testament and at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit doing some different things in how he empowers believers. But one of the things that you do see in the Old Testament is at least some conversation about God's Spirit kind of departing at times from from individuals. And maybe not completely, but certainly in, in some ways, his ministry with those individuals changes, right? Like one that we know for sure is Samson, where, where we see his spirit, the Holy Spirit or, or God's spirit departing from Samson. And he didn't even know it, right? Like his hair's been cut. He thinks he's still strong. He, feel, he still thinks he's powerful. Doesn't know. And it's, it's a tragic verse that talks about him not realizing, not knowing that God's presence has kind of departed from him, right? We don't have to worry about that. The, the Holy Spirit has been given to us forever as our helper, intentionally, eternally, but then number three, strategically. He's been given to us strategically. What does that mean? For a specific purpose. And that purpose that he's given to us for is meant to help us with our anxiousness and with our potential to to grow fearful in our circumstances, right? That that the Holy Spirit's going to play a unique, specific, strategic role in our life. Verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. Have you ever been in a situation where 
you get to the end of something and you're like, man, I wish I had been writing that stuff down, right? Like, like maybe you, you had decided not to take notes in a sermon or maybe you're at a specific conference for your work and, and you're not expecting much from this breakout session or this, this large group session. And then you kind of get to the end of it and you're like, man, there's a lot of good content, a lot of good information. I wish I'd been writing that stuff down, right? We don't have any indication that at any point the disciples are writing all this stuff down, Right? Like they, they start following Jesus, they show up to, to interact with Jesus and begin to follow him, but the way they would have had a, to write at that time, it wouldn't, it wouldn't like they could just bring their iPad along or, or bring a pad of paper along and be jotting down his sermons, right? So they're telling him, hey, hey I'm about to leave, right? Like Jesus is like, I'm about to leave and I'm going to be gone. And, and maybe there's this moment, moment of panic that sets in and it's like, are we going to be able to remember everything that you've said? Like, I'm not even sure I understand everything that you said, right? Like, like there's still that piece where you talked about us eating your flesh and drinking your blood, and a lot of people left, and we didn't really come back to what you meant by that, right? Like, like there's probably this moment of anxiousness is like, I don't remember everything you said. And, and this is where we can be very thankful for the gift of the Holy Spirit, because Jesus says he's going to draw to remembrance everything that I've said to you, right? Like, I think, I think the, the disciples are writing the bulk of what they write after Jesus is gone, right? And they're doing it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, who is drawing to their remembrance the specific details, the specific words that Jesus relayed to them, right? That's the role that the Holy Spirit plays. He, he brings understanding when we're confused. He helps us remember when we're forgetful. Now, notice there's some responsibility on our part to enjoy both of those roles that the Holy Spirit plays, right? That he, that he teaches or brings clarity where there's confusion, and he draws to remembrance things that have been forgotten. Well, the first one there, he helps us to understand when we're confused. That requires us exposing ourselves currently to something to even be confused about, right? Man, I believe that every time I sit down and I prepare and I study and, and I anticipate coming before you to teach, that the Holy Spirit is playing a very active role in my life to help me understand in a very fast manner what the text has to say so that I can teach it to you. And it's not me. I'm not, I'm not gifted or skilled to be able to teach on a weekly basis, to be able to spend the amount of time that I take on a Saturday and a Sunday to get ready for this. Like, like that's the Holy Spirit who teaches through me. That's the Holy Spirit who brings clarity where things look very unclear at the beginning of the week when I look at a text, right? Like, I'll read the text, and I'm like, man, I have no idea how a sermon's gonna come together on that. Like, like I'm confused. I have no idea what's really being said there, right? But by the end of a few more days, like, clarity comes, understanding comes, even application comes from a text that was very confusing just a few days before. And that's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit bringing understanding, teaching me so that I can then turn around and teach you. And he, and he does that for you as well, right? And he doesn't have to do it maybe as, as quickly as he does it in my life because maybe you don't have that, that pressing need to teach somebody. But he is there and he has provided and indwells you and gives you the ability to understand Scripture, but it necessitates you being in front of Scripture, right? right? He, has to, he, he brings the teaching piece, he brings the clarity piece, but it requires you being in his word. I'll be honest, we sat down at our D group on, on Wednesday night with Isaiah 7, 8, and 9, 
And I told the guys, I said, I'll be honest, I still don't know what some of this stuff means, right? But I'm going to tell you, as we talked and as we began to share that, that you know, Rob had a piece to bring to the table, Jason had a piece to bring to the table, Ben had a piece to bring to the table, I brought some stuff to the table, and it was like by the end of it, I was like, there's still some things I don't understand, but I can at least walk away from tonight feeling like there are some things that I do understand, and there are some things that I can hang my hat on, and things that I can believe, and things that I can trust. And that's the Holy Spirit working through all of us in our D group setting even. And that's part of what we desire. You know, we've, we've been giving you some easier passages, and then we bring you one this time that's a little bit more difficult, that doesn't just scream application and doesn't just scream clarity. But it was a beautiful picture to me of the Holy Spirit working through a, a small group of body of believers that as we talked and discussed, there, there was clarity that started to come about from that passage, right? And, and things that we could, we could take away and celebrate about Jesus in this Christmas season even, um, and so the Holy Spirit does that for us, right? He brings clarity, but it requires us being in front of his word. It requires us exposing ourselves. He helps us remember when we're forgetful. Well, that requires prior exposure, right? That, that means that there has to be some type of reservoir for the Holy Spirit to pull from, to remind us of things. Now, there's probably all of us that could share different stories or different accounts of ways that the Holy Spirit's done this for us. That that there was a time where we're having a conversation with somebody. And if you'd asked, if somebody had asked you this, this piece of information at any other time, you'd have been like, I, I can't remember where that's at, or I, don't, I have no idea where that's at. And the Holy Spirit maybe has brought something to you from a sermon or from your own study previously, years before, that in that moment, that other individual needed it. And it's like, boom, the Holy Spirit just brings that to you. You're able to recall that to memory, and you're able to speak that to somebody else. That happens to me sometimes in the middle of sermons. There's been, there's been key points that I've made where somebody has come up to me and said, man, I really, really got a lot from what you said here. And I'm thinking like, like that wasn't even in the notes. Like that wasn't even like part of what I was planning to say. But in the midst of teaching, the Holy Spirit brings to memory something else that fits exactly what we're talking about that day. That's the role the Holy Spirit plays in us. He, he, he teaches us when we're confused. As we expose ourselves to God's word, we're confused. We're not sure what to do with this. He teaches us. And then in moments where we're not in front of his word and we need his word, I mean, he'll, he'll bring that to memory. Right? It's one of the reasons that, I, that I've told our Bible teachers and tried to get them to communicate to our kids at Trinity. Why in the world are we memorizing entire books of the Bible? Like, Why, why would we do that? Because there's going to be times when our kids need God's word and they won't have it in front of them. And they're going to need to be able to have the Holy Spirit pull from a previous resource, a, a previous reservoir of knowledge to be able to bring to their attention something that they need in that moment where they're being tempted or discouraged or anxious, whatever it may be. And they'll have that. Do I expect these kids will be able to quote the, the book of the Bible they're memorizing 10 years from now? Maybe not. But Tyson can tell you there are kids four years later after memorizing a portion in Philippians from his class that can still say almost all of it word for word because of the way he taught it to them. And I think some of that's the Holy Spirit being able to draw upon previous knowledge and bring it to our attention when we need it. We can, we can embrace that type of help. And it protects us from being anxious and, and fearful knowing that we have that type of active presence in our life. That comprehension piece brings comfort to us. There's no need to be afraid. The Holy Spirit will bring troubled hearts 
the word of God and apply its comfort to it. Let me say that again. The Holy Spirit, what does he do? He brings to our troubled hearts the word of God and applies its comfort to it. Whether that's currently when we're studying scripture or whether that's down the road after we've already studied, studied scripture and need it drawn to our mind once again. He's called the spirit of truth here. The spirit of truth uses the word of truth to lead us into the way of truth. We can embrace that type of help. And then number three, enjoy peace that comes from trusting his sovereign plan. Enjoy peace that comes from trusting his sovereign plan. For our kids, because God is in control, we can have peace instead of fear. Enjoy peace that comes from trusting his sovereign plan. He says in verse 25, these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. He goes on to say, you've heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. Number one here, he has revealed some details of his plan to help us trust him more. He has revealed some details of his plan to help us trust him more. He talks about the difference between his peace and the worldly peace. Worldly peace is frequently based on resources, right? You talk to somebody who, and this isn't always even the case, but what, what the world would say brings peace, right, is job security, uh, money in the bank, right, resources. When we have resources to take care of our needs, that's, that's the world's picture of what peace and security looks like, right? With God, it, it's rooted in relationship, right? That our peace comes not from the resources that are given to us because they're not promised to us. What is promised to us is an intimate relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it's in, in that context that he says, I'm leaving peace with you. You say, well, well, why should we feel peaceful? Well, because of the intimate relationship he's just described here, that, that we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in us working in us, teaching us, bringing comprehension to us. And then when we're, when we're in need, drawing things back to our memory to help us. And he reveals some details of his future plan, right? In this passage, what have we seen? That he's, he, in their context, he's talking about resurrection that hadn't happened already, right? So for them, what does he tell them about their future? That he's coming back. They're going to see him live again, right? Now we look past tense on that now. But then he talks about this piece where he's going away, but he's coming again and he's bringing with him a place for us to enjoy with him forever, right? He makes promises about the Holy Spirit that's going to come upon them. Again, that's past tense for us now. But he's giving them insight into his future plan. Why? So that when it takes place, you may believe really more in me, right? That maturing faith that we talked about last week. He says, I'm telling you things about the future, so that when they happen, you believe in me more. Now, super cool for them to have him tell them that he's coming back from the dead and the Holy Spirit's going to come, and then for them to experience that, right? For us, all this is past tense, but there's still a piece where we can believe in Jesus more by looking at the fact that before he came back from the dead, 
he said he was going to. And before the day of Pentecost, he said that was going to happen as well. Right? So we can look at that and still see reason to believe in him more because he's fulfilling his plan as he promised. That gives us assurance that the things that haven't yet been fulfilled will be too. Number two, he operates freely and is never influenced because of evil. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. The world enjoys peace when there is an absence of trouble. Think about that. The world enjoys peace when there is no trouble. Whereas Christians enjoy peace in spite of trouble. Right? He says, I'm giving you peace, not the kind the world offers. Right? My peace doesn't come from resources. And it doesn't come when you look around and say, man, there's no trouble. If there's no trouble, you should feel peaceful. Right? The uniqueness of being a Christ follower is that we can feel his peace even in spite of trouble. Because look what he says. Verse 30, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. What's he saying there? He's saying that what's about to happen, right? There's no real threat, and there's no real victory that's about to come from the ruler of this world. Because the disciples are about to see the crucifixion play itself out. They're about to see him arrested in the garden. They're about to see Judas show up and be the betrayer. They're about to see all that unfold. But Jesus clarifies here and says, there's no claim on me by any of that. Judas doesn't have a claim on me. The, The Pharisees and the authorities that are coming to arrest me have no claim on me. Pilate has no claim on me. The cross has no claim on me, right? I do as the Father has commanded me. So that the world may know that I love the Father. What's he doing here at the end? He is showing the example that when you love the Father, you obey him. You obey his commands. It's exactly what he calls us to do. Right? He calls us to love him like he loves the Father and to therefore then obey him like he obeyed the Father. And he says, what's about to happen here? You know, everything you're about to see, it's not because the ruler of this world has a claim on me. It's because I love my father and I'm going to obey him and I'm going to allow everything to transpire that's about to transpire in the next few hours because I love my father and I'm obeying his commands. He operates freely. He's never influenced because of evil. I love this last part of verse 31. He says, rise, let us go from here. The ruler of the world is coming, and what does Jesus do? He basically says, let's go meet him, right? Like, let's go meet him in the garden. Not, oh my gosh, the ruler of the world is coming. Like, he doesn't have a claim on me, but let's get out of here, right? Like, he he doesn't say, let's flee, right? Let's, Let's get out of here, let's leave. He says, guys, the ruler of the world, like Judas, like I dismissed him a little while ago after I washed his feet, like, the ruler is coming. Let's, let's leave and let's go, let's go meet him. Why? Because I love my father and I want to be obedient to him. Not because, not because that ruler has any claim on me. Not because Judas has any claim on me. But let's rise and let's go from here and let's go meet him. Let's go meet him because I love my father and I'm going to obey him 
and it's going to make all these promises that I just made to you possible, right? Because I'm going to create the intimacy that you can enjoy because I'm going to bear the burden of your sin on the cross, right? So that that intimacy can be enjoyed, so that the Holy Spirit can be enjoyed, so that there can be a home prepared in you for Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He says, let's rise and let's go from here and let's go take care of this, all right? From an application standpoint, two things that I want you to do this week. Number one, I want you to read through 1 John and meditate on the peace that comes from knowing that you're saved. Same author, same author here, and he writes 1 John so that we can know, so that we can have assurance. And he talks a lot. He talks a lot in 1 John about, if you love me, keep my commandments. He talks a lot about Jesus's message here and kind of fleshes some of that out. And there's a lot in there about how we serve and love each other And that's how we show that we love our Father by obeying His commands. We do that by serving each other, right? So I want you to just take some time this week to read through 1 John and meditate on the peace that comes from knowing you're saved. And then secondly, reflect on specific reasons that you love Jesus. told you we'd come back to that. And select one to two people that you could specifically show love to this week, right? Be faithful to be obedient in this specific way. Find one to two people this week that you can intentionally love on in response to meditating on the love that you have for Jesus. Show the love that you have for Jesus by showing it to someone else this week. So read through 1 John, meditate on the peace that comes from knowing you're saved. Secondly, reflect on specific reasons you love Jesus. Select one to two people you can specifically show love to this week. Then our family worship questions are real similar. They're almost identical. Read through 1 John together and talk about the key truths in each chapter. And then number two, talk about who and how our family can show love to someone this week. Maturing love for Jesus is the basis for growing in our obedience to him. It allows our fears to be turned into a mindset of peace as we enjoy deepening intimacy with him with the help of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you. You are good to us. You make so many promises to us that can cure us from the anxieties and troubles that come our way. God, help us to see that as we love you more, it will translate into more consistent obedience in our daily life. God, as we see failures in our life, help us to realize that it's ultimately back to a lack of love for you in certain areas or a lack of trust in you in certain areas. So God, we know that the the goal when we're disobedient is not to try to pull ourselves out ourselves and and try to do better. Instead, we need to step back and, and maybe spend some time meditating on why we love you and allow that love to translate into obedient choices. God, we thank you for the intimacy that you offer to us. We thank you for the the Holy Spirit who helps us into that intimacy. We thank you that the Holy Spirit brings uh, comprehension to us when we're when we're, we're not understanding things. You teach us through your Holy Spirit. You you draw to remembrance things when we desperately need them through the Holy Spirit's ministry. We thank you and praise you for that, Lord. We thank you for the peace that comes through all of this. Not a peace that's only there when trouble is absent, but a peace that we can enjoy even in the midst of trouble, even in the midst of anxiety. God, we're thankful that we don't have to fear, that we don't have to fear evil, we don't have to fear the enemy, that 
none of those things have any claim on us because we've been set free by the, by the blood of Jesus and that you are using everything in our life, even the stuff that we would deem evil for good purposes. And we thank you that, that you face that stuff head on, that you don't run from it, that in obedience to your Father out of love for him, you go meet that evil. God, help us to find great comfort and encouragement in that when we're facing our own evil in our own life, when we're going through that valley of the shadow of death. God, help us to enjoy peace knowing that our shepherd leads us well. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org. Thank you.